This morning we are um, really, for me, building vision. Why, do we, why are we doing what we're doing? You know, who are we and what is our mission and that kind of thing. And uh, this is defined very clearly for us in the Scripture in Colossians chapter 1, 24 to 29, where I'm going to ask you to turn this morning. Uh, Paul talks about presenting every Christian mature, everyone mature in Christ. We're going to see that the, uh, there's a mystery in Christ and that that mystery is Christ in us, which is a hope of glory and is a Christ in us then that is uh, this ministry and this, uh, uh, I guess, opportunity to, to move forward into maturity, into growth, to be taught and to mature in Christ and that only this only happens through the power of Christ. But let us uh, dive in. If you have your Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 1, 24 to 29, and hear the word of God. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. To make the word of God fully known, the mystery that was hidden for ages and generations, but is now being revealed to the saints, to them, to the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present Everyone mature in Christ. And for this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works in me. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank You for Your Word that is living and true. And if we, as we have gathered at Your church this morning, we have we've gathered to You. As always, we would sit at Your feet and learn of You. We would have Your Word come in power and in truth. We would have our hearts and our minds and our lives shaped, not just by the bare word, but by the power of your spirit that is able, he is able to make it accomplish all that you desire in and through us. So Father, have your way with us this morning. We ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul was given a ministry by God, right? He was to fully make known the word of God. We see this in as you see in the end of verse 24, it says that, he was, that, he, uh, that it is for the church, for his body, the church, of which he became a minister, a servant, according to the stewardship of God that it was given to him. Paul became a servant of the church, a minister of the church, because God had given him that ministry, that called it a stewardship. It was something that God gave him that he needed to be faithful in, like so much of of what we have, God has given us what we have, and we have a, a stewardship. We have a responsibility, you know, in how we handle it and what we do with it. And he says that this ministry that he has, that God has given him, it contains a, minist- a, a, a mystery. In verse 26, it says he needs to make, the end of 25, make the word of God fully known, the mystery that was hidden for ages and generations, but now it's been revealed to the saints. So when he talks about a mystery, biblically a mystery Biblically speaking, is something, well, I guess in a mystery, if you watch a mystery movie, there's, there's an answer, and you can figure out what that answer is, and it may not be all that hard to understand, but the thing is, you've got to figure out, it's unclear, it's hidden, it has to be uncovered. And the same kind of thing is, biblically, a, a mystery is something that was hidden or unclear, 
uh, that ultimately, usually in the New Testament, has been made clear. The mystery has been solved, so to speak. Usually it's solved in Jesus. Right? And so this mystery that has been hidden for the ages, but it's been revealed in the New Testament. Ligonier Ministries, R.C. Sproul, he says, Paul uses the term mystery to refer to a truth that was partially and dimly revealed under the Old Covenant, but is now displayed in all of its fullness to the New Covenant people of God. Right? So the mystery that has now been uncovered. Right? And this is what Paul says in verse 26. This is a mystery that was hidden for the ages and generations, the Old Covenant. It wasn't clear. It was partly obscured, but now it has become clear. Now it has become revealed. In Christ, it all has become known to us. And Paul says his ministry is to make it known. Right? My, my stewardship is to make the Word of God fully known, including this mystery. And he says, and the mystery is Christ in you, who is the hope of glory. The mystery is Christ. It says it explicitly in chapter 2, verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, knit together in love, to reach all the riches that he's been talking about, a full assurance and understanding, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. The mystery is, in that sense, the full revelation of who God is and what God is doing in the person of the Messiah, who in many ways was a very big surprise to Israel, which is one reason why so many of them rejected him. He was not what they were expecting. God incarnate. God come to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. They were expecting a Savior, but not one like Jesus. So the mystery is Christ, and the mystery contains in it this idea that he was a savior, not just for Israel, but for the whole world. And that all would be included in Christ. And that's what he says in verse 27 to them, to the saints, he made known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ. That he made this, this mystery of Christ as the way of salvation known not just to Israel, but to the Gentiles. And this was very hard for a lot of New Testament, as you read it, for, for Israelites, for Jews to accept and to understand how this, this broadening beyond just their little nation to all the peoples of the earth. But this is what it is in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 3 to 6. He talks about the mystery again. Paul says, a mystery that was made known to me by revelation. It was obscured. Now it's been revealed, right? The mystery of Christ what the mystery is. It was not known to the sons of men in other generations. It was hidden. And now it has been revealed to the apostles and prophets. The mystery is this. That Gentiles are fellow heirs and members of the same body and partakers of the same promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Right? That the Gentiles, that all peoples are included. That all people, that Jesus is available to everyone, that Christ in you and you is anybody and everybody on the planet. 2,000 years ago or 2,000 years from now, Christ in you, whoever you may be, whosoever should believe, would not perish but have everlasting life. You would share the same hope of glory. So the mystery of the hope of this glory is obtained through Christ it's not through ethnic descent. It's not through any other means, works, or any other way. 
but everyone who has faith. And so what he is saying here, part of the mystery is that this distinction between Jew and Gentile, the distinction between the relationship that, that the Jews had with God and the rest of the Gentiles, that distinction has been dissolved in Christ. Gentiles, as Paul said in Ephesians a minute ago, share the same full citizenship with the Jews in the kingdom of God. They're fellow heirs. They're of the same body. They have the same promises. This is what Ephesians 2 says in verse 14 and 16. Jesus made us both one. That is Jew and Gentile. He's made us both one. And he's broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility so that he would reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross Right? That was the mystery that had been revealed. There would be one body, one cross, one Savior for all people, for all time. And the hostility, the, the wall of division has been dissolved. It was not clearly revealed that the Messiah is going to reunite Israel with the rest of the nations of the earth in the Messiah. That the hope of glory for anybody, Jew or Gentile, was in the Messiah. And everybody who was in the Messiah became one body. There was no wall between anymore. Everybody has hope of glory. And so the Gentiles become fellow heirs. But how does God accomplish this? How does he break down this dividing wall and unite Jew and Gentile and create one body in Christ with one faith, one hope, one baptism, one Lord, one Savior of all? How does he accomplish it? And he says he does it because it'll be Christ in you that is the hope of glory. It's not found anywhere else. And wherever else Israel might look for it or wherever anybody else on the planet might look for it, here is the... The, the gospel is that it is Christ in you that is the hope of glory. And what he says is that Christ can be in anyone, anywhere, at any time, through faith. And when you put our faith and our trust in Christ, right, that he pours out his spirit on his people. And he, and he comes and he dwells in us as his own temple and builds everyone who believes in him together into one temple, one new body, one new church. Christ in you, the hope of glory, is verse 27. It's the riches of the glory of this mystery, even among the Gentiles, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jew and Gentile become one people. And it is only Christ in you that can connect you to the hope of glory. Right? The world is looking for hope. And there are a lot of folks, I don't know if you've been at secular funerals and at different places where you could just taste the lack of hope. Where is the hope of glory? Where is the hope that there is something beyond or something more? But only Christ in you, he says, can connect you to the hope of glory by connecting you to the people of God, to eternal life. John says it really clear in 1 John 5. He says, whoever has the Son... Right before this, he says, life is in the Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whosoever you are, what nation, what nationality, what ethnicity, what background, no matter what came before, whoever has the Son has life. And whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It is Christ in you that is the hope of glory. It is the life of Christ that gives us the hope of an eternal life. 
My friends, it could not be any clearer. To be outside of Christ is to be disconnected from life. Life is in the Son. He who has the Son has life. And to be disconnected from the Son, whoever does not have the Son, is disconnected from life and is disconnected from the hope of glory, which is Christ in you. And so what does it mean to have Christ in you? Which is important if it's the hope of glory. Christ in you means to be connected to Jesus by faith and then by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Right? He says that it is our faith that connects us to Christ. He says, if you put your faith and trust in Christ, you are in Christ. And there's a very real sense in which then he is in you. We are in Christ and he is in us. Robert Murray McShane says this, Christ in you means Christ embraced by faith as our righteousness, as our strength. And this is the sure ground upon which we hope for glory. Right? By faith we are righteous with the righteousness of Christ. And so by faith we're in Christ and we stand right and have the hope of glory. If you're in Christ by faith, then Christ is in you. And the scripture is very clear about it, that if you believe and trust in Christ, then Christ is in you. That he pours out his spirit on his people. There's a real presence of Christ in his people by the spirit. Said in so many ways, in so many places, but Ephesians 3 says it this way, according to the riches of his glory, that riches that he revealed even among the Gentiles, that he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Right? So we see it's, it's by faith that we're connected. It's through faith that Christ dwells in us. But that faith brings the real presence of his spirit to the inner being that, that brings Christ near, that Christ comes near when the spirit brings him near and reveals him to us and to the eyes of faith. Romans 8, 9, and 10, he says, whoever does not have the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ, doesn't belong to him. Life is in the Son. If you have the Son, you have life. But whoever does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. If Christ is not in you, then there is not a hope of glory. Anyone who doesn't have the Spirit of Christ doesn't belong to him. But if Christ is in you, one way you could define what it means to be a Christian, according to the Scripture, there's a bunch of different ways you could, you could do it, but one way would be to simply say, anyone who has the Spirit of Christ in them is a Christian. They are united to Christ by the Spirit. They belong to Him, and they are righteous with His righteousness. Right, that's what it means to be a Christian. It means to be born again. How is a person born again? By the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, who brings us to life, gives us eyes to see and ears to hear, and makes the lame to walk. The presence of the Spirit unites us, connects us really and spiritually to Christ. And this connection is the hope of glory. Hope here is not like hoping for rain or that it doesn't rain. I hope it doesn't rain because I really want to play sports outside. Right? That, that's a wishful thinking. Like we use hope often as a wishful thinking, but biblical hope is not wishful thinking. It is, it is a certain waiting. It's a certain knowledge of something that is coming, that is happening, that is true, and it's just not happened yet. And so hope is that expectation, that anticipation of it. Hope is more like a child looks forward to Christmas. And the closer you get, it's not if there will be Christmas, there will be Christmas. But the closer we get, there's that expectant waiting. There's a sense of hope, of anticipation, 
of what, what will happen on that day. And that's exactly what the hope is here. This, this, it's a sure and certain thing. We wait for the glory that is our hope, the eternal life with the Son of God, with God, in a life that doesn't end, in a life that is like the life of Christ. And so in verse John, 1 John 3, 2, he says this, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we're going to see him as he is. When he appears, when he comes, we're going to be changed. We're going to be like him. And he is glorified in the presence of his Father. And he says, and we're going to be remade in fully in his image. The glory that is to be revealed, the hope of, of glory, which is to be free of sin and to be like Christ and to be in God's presence. All of it is contained. We know when he appears, we'll be like him. We'll see him as he is, which is why in Colossians 3, a couple chapters ahead here, he says, when Christ, who is your life, life is in the Son. If you have the Son, you have life. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And you'll be like him in that glory. And you'll be in the presence of God. Our sure and certain hope of glory. This is what drives Paul's ministry right here at the center of what he says. God has given him a stewardship. He is now a minister to the church, to his body. And it is this, at the center of it is making fully known the word of God, which contains this idea that, that all the walls are broken down and anyone can trust in Christ. Christ can be in anyone and united to him and have the hope of glory. And so he says in 24 and 25, to the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God. And he says it was given to me for you, for the church, to make the word of God fully known. Paul's ministry to the church, making this word that I'm preaching to you this morning and we stand up here every week and open it up and we read it and we look at it and we look at this verse and then this verse and then this verse is to make the Word of God, not my opinions and not public events, but to make the Word of God fully known at the center of which is Christ. And so what does that look like? Well, he tells us in verse 28, well, this is how he's doing it. Him, this Christ who can be in you as the hope of glory, Him, this one, we proclaim. We preach Him. And we warn everyone, and then we teach everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Right? This is the nature of Paul's ministry, to make the Word of God fully known by proclaiming and preaching Christ. And then to those he preaches to, he says, to teach them, every one of them, to warn them and to seek to present them, as he says, mature in Christ. It says in verse 20, 29 how he does this, toiling and struggling, right? I toil and I, I struggle with all his energy, with Jesus' energy, the Spirit's energy who lives in me. I toil, I struggle. The word struggle there is actually agonizo. It's the word agonize. I toil and I agonize with all Jesus' energy, the power of the Spirit that is at work within me to do what? To proclaim Christ and to teach everyone. Right, and warn everyone and to present everyone mature in Christ. This is the stewardship God has given to him. 
But my friends, that is every church's ministry. That is every church's mission. If it's a faithful church, this is what it's doing. We make vision statements and mission statements and stuff, you know, and we got to put it in our own language. And, you know, but the bottom line is this. The, the stewardship that has been given to the ministers of God, of which you're one, by the way. This is not then the professional class. This is to the ministry he's given to the church is to proclaim him and to teach him to everyone, to warn everyone, and to seek to present everyone in a growing maturity in Christ. It's the ministry of the church. To disciple God's people. Right? This is the Great Commission, is it not? When Jesus left, Paul's just simply following the Great Commission, right? Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. How? Proclaim him. That in Christ you can have the hope of glory and that there are those who would come to faith. And so we proclaim him, therefore making disciples and then baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then teaching them. Right? That's what Paul says. I, I agonize and I struggle and I labor to teach them and to warn them and to present them mature. So it's not just making the disciple by proclaiming him, but it's maturing the disciple and growing them up in Christ. It's the Great Commission, and the Great Commission ends with what you could say is verse 29 in our text, and Jesus ends it by saying, and I'm with you always, to the very end of the age, I'm with you, right? And that's what Paul is experiencing in verse 29 when he's doing this commission, which is proclaiming him and teaching them, is that I toil and I struggle and I do this with the one who's with me to the very end of the age by his power that is at work within me. He said, I didn't leave you to go, you know, make this happen, But Paul says that he is with us to the end of the age. And it is by his energy and his power and his grace, which is why we can do it with joy. And we can rise up on wings like you. We can run and not grow weary when it is his energy and his power and his grace. And my friends, this is the ministry of HPC. And I want us to, as we think about what we're doing and why we're doing what we're doing, as we press ahead, Right? What are we doing? We are proclaiming Christ globally and locally. I think it's beautiful. It'll be one of the articles that comes out in the newsletter this month talking about how, how beautifully Global Outreach Week fits right in the middle of what we're doing this month. Because, because the mission of the church is both global and local. And we're focusing this month on local and, and expanding our ability to do ministry, to our stewardship that he's given to us to accomplish the task of teaching and warning and presenting people mature. We, we need the space here to do that. But at the same time, it's, it's global. We can't neglect the call that all peoples everywhere need Christ. This is the stewardship given to us. And so the goal and desire of HPC, what we see, at least I see as my goal, is, is, is doing the work to try to present every soul mature in Christ. That's right, so what we do week by week in terms of fully proclaiming the Word of God and warning and teaching and seeking and pursuing that maturity in the life of God's people. I like in verse 28, he says three times, he says, every man... You need to hear every woman. It's inclusive. And so he says, we proclaim him warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone, right? Everyone, every single one. So if you're wondering, does this include me? Is he talking about me? And he's talking about you, right? Every single one. And he says it over and over again. I'm going to warn every single one. 
You need to put your faith and trust in Christ because there's life in the Son, and he who does not have the Son does not have life. And so I warn every single one, and I teach every single one of you so that we can present every soul as mature in Christ as is possible by His grace. In Galatians 4.19, he says, My little children, things were going awry in the church in Galatia. It was breaking Paul's heart, and he calls them my little children. My children whom I am again in the anguish in the sense of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Christ in you is the hope of glory, but he says there's this formation of the soul that takes place to be more like Christ. Christ in you, forming us, reforming us in his image. In the fall, the image of God is broken, but Jesus is the image of God, and in him, the image in us is being restored, and so we're being shaped like Jesus. So we have the mind of Christ, right? The heart of Christ, the obedience of Christ, the holiness of Christ. So Christ is being formed in us in the sense that we're being conformed to the image of the Son. Romans 8, if you remember back then, right? He is predestined that we should be conformed to the image of his Son. And if you're in Christ and Christ is in you, then he's warning and teaching and admonishing in order to mature you, that is to make you more like Jesus. Paul says this happens by making the word of God known, by teaching. But which begs the question of where your heart is. Of where your heart is in all of this. Is this your goal? To be warned and to be taught and to mature more and more to be like Jesus. Is this the stewardship that you have received, it is your stewardship as you participate in the ministries of HPC because I would say that this is simply a mission statement, mission station, and that you guys are all ministers in the church and we all have ministries where this is what goes on every day here. Is it your goal? Spiritual maturity and depth. Ligonier Ministry puts out an annual state of theology survey every year and every year it gets progressively worse. The numbers are sad. And you can Google, you know, Ligonier's uh, uh, state of theology um, thing and, and look at it. It's, it's sad. It's depressing to watch 10 years ago, five years ago, just a couple years ago, this year. The church knows the Bible less, understands its theology less. It gives core orthodox statements of theology and 50% of evangelicals disagree with it. And I don't even know that it is because they have understood the issue and then they, they disagree. In other words, that's called heresy. Or whether it's just weakness. And, but, but either way, it's both of those. It's showing a growing weakness in the church and a growing heresy in the church. People denying the Trinity, not understanding the deity of Christ, who don't understand some of the core doctrines surrounding the Word of God and what it is. Why is it like that? Why is it getting worse? Right? Who, who's doing the warning? Right? Who's doing the teaching of everyone with all wisdom? Who's, who's doing the work to mature everyone in Christ? Who's doing that work? Who is commanded to do that work? Who is seeking maturity in the church? And 
And in some ways, when we say, if it's not us, if it's not us, then who? If you don't get sound theology here, where are you going to get it? Because I can tell you, walk out the doors, you're not going to get it. Maybe if you peruse the right parts of the internet, you might find some of it. But who's going to teach solid, orthodox, biblical theology to our children? It's God's purpose and plan that every Christian be taught and perfected, that they'll be advancing and growing and maturing. Every man, every woman, the stewardship that's been given to us. And so our ministry, and when I say ours, I mean yours and mine, our ministry, our stewardship from God is to make that word fully known and to teach and to proclaim. We see it in Ephesians chapter 4, familiar. He gave shepherds and teachers to equip the saints, that's you, right? The church to equip, in other words, Pastors equip you guys to be the ministers. Shepherds and teachers to equip the saints to do what? The work of ministry. To be the ministers. To do the work for what? For the building up of the body of Christ. Until we attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And to mature to manhood or womanhood. To grow up. to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, to be like Jesus, more and more like Jesus. We are to grow up in every way into him who is our head, into Christ. HPC exists to do this work. Every church should exist to do this work. But that's why we exist. Years ago, the leadership carefully examined our ministries and attempted to eliminate the fluff What's the fluff in the church? You just go around churches around town, there's a lot of fluff. When I say fluff, I mean it's a, the church has limited resources, has limited people, you have limited time, and we have limited money. There's only so much. It's like a bucket of each one, and there's only so much you can do with it. So much in the life of a lot of churches is, is poured out into things that simply entertain the body. Right? They're programs for us like a country club. You pay your dues or you give whatever, and we use the time and the talents and everything to produce entertainment for the church, and we entertain ourselves. We don't, we don't want to be a country club, right? We want to be a mission station. And there's only so many people and so much time and energy, and so we have said that we want to focus our ministries in such a way that we are making the Word of God fully known, proclaiming and teaching and seeking to mature people in Christ. And if it's not doing that, we don't want to do it. It comes from, from the biblical and expository preaching of the word, the whole counsel of God and all of its historical and, yes, theological and practical, all of it. If the church only gets so-called practical teaching, there's some churches that will focus on that. You get five steps to, uh, you know, to your best life now and ten steps to raising your children and eight steps to handling your money and six steps to... I'm not saying there's not a place for good practical teaching, but I'm saying this, if that's what you focus on... That's why the state of theology, the church is becoming heretical, right? Because at some point, we've got to teach the truth, right? We've got to lay the foundations in, particularly in our children's lives. And so we offer adult Sunday school that there's always a Bible track, there's often a theology track, and there's a practical living track. And we try to, but if you're not getting solid theology here, where are you going to get it? And we have Bible studies and we have small groups and we have prayer groups. Opportunities to learn and to grow and to be accountable. The youth ministry aimed at biblical and theological foundations. They address some of the unique struggles, the practical of a youth's life, but seeking at the same time to lay biblical and theological 
foundations for them. Strong ministries to our children. Elisa and the team of teachers do an amazing job with our children. Do you know that 94% of Christians come to Christ before the age of 18? 94% of those who follow Christ started following him before they were 18. If the internet's to be believed. Barna, if Barna's to be believed. Converted before the age of 18. We minister to everybody, my friends, but we've got to reach our children. Right? Do we not? And so we have ministries, and we have focused in many ways on on reaching the community. And a lot of times, if you get the children, you get the parents, right? And the children is a great focus where we do need to put some energies. And so we have community ministries from our tutoring program After school, Tuesdays and Thursdays, tutoring children. We have a Christ-centered day school. 95 children come through those doors four days a week, nine to two, in a Christ-centered education where we teach them and point them to Jesus. We have a trail life ministry on Monday nights along with the American Heritage Girls. Trail life brings in 43 boys. Trail life brings in another 36 girls. We have our own children who may not be in part of any of those. 60 come on a Wednesday night or so. In other words, we have hundreds of children that come to HPC every single week. Why do we want to expand our educational space for adults and children? It's to keep up with what God is doing. To steward. We have a stewardship that's been given to us as a church. You and I have a stewardship. You know, there's a ministry here. If you, if you, they, the, the day school's here 9 to 2, Monday to Thursday, and then Monday night you have trail life, and the American Heritage Girls are here. And Tuesday in the afternoon, the tutoring ministry's here. And on Wednesday, the children are here. There's 60 of our children. The youth are here. The choir is here. And there's a bunch of adult small groups meeting around the church. We have, we have adult small groups meeting six days a week. A lot of them meet right here in this building. This building is used almost every day at all times of the day by every age group. You know, we took a vote a few months ago, and about 95% of you said, let's do it. Let's expand our ministry space. We see the need. I praise God for your vision to say, we see the need for the next step in the life of the church, and now it's time (laughs) to do it. And it's going to take all of us. One of the reasons we spend this time is trying to bring us together so we all have the same vision, the same understanding. What is God doing? What are we doing? Why are we doing it? Because my heart's not going to be fully engaged until I really get it. It's part of what I'm trying to do is to help us get it. But I want to leave us with just this thought, how are we going to do it? And it's going to be verse 29. How are we going to do it? Well, let me just say this. I do want to remind you what he just said, uh, Stephen, Steve said a minute ago. You were handed a brochure. <clears throat> you saw a video. We're going to be a video each of the four Sundays that we do this. And there are, there's a newsletter that's going to come out each Monday. So it's going to come once a week on Monday. And I'm going to ask you to read it. So when I say newsletter, there's going to be a letter in it, but there's a bunch of different pieces in it. It's going to be full of information. And we're going to slowly feed information to you week by week throughout the month you know, instead of the fire hose method. And so we just ask you on Monday to to look for that email and to read it so that we're all on the same page, understanding the same things. So how are we going to do it? It's in verse 29. We, We toil and we struggle. We agonize. We struggle with all of his energy that powerfully, the word there is dunamai, that so powerfully dynamites, it works within me. 
We teach and admonish. He said this is how he does his ministry, how he seeks to teach and to warn and to do it. And he does it. He labors at it with all of himself, full of all of Christ. And as we press ahead, whether it's to continue the ministry that we're doing or to expand it, it is Christ in you that is the hope of glory. Not just a hope of future glory, but of present grace. It is Christ in you that is the hope of present grace and the ability to do, to toil and to agonize and to struggle and to cause these things to happen. We agreed together to pursue a God-sized vision. That's what we're doing. But I also believe, he says, he is with us to the end of the age. And if he calls us to it, he's able to do it. But how does he do it? By energizing us, by working powerfully in us and us toiling and struggling together to make it happen. I leave you with this verse from Nehemiah. Nehemiah was rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And as he was talking to his people, he said this, the God of heaven will make us prosper. And we, his servants, will arise and build. That's what we're doing. That's what we're asking you to do in the name of Jesus. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that is living and true and that you have made it fully known to us, your saints, to your church, that you have given us a gospel to proclaim, a savior to offer, a a stewardship and a ministry to pursue, to teach, and to seek to present our children and our young people and even us older folks mature in Christ. We long for this work to be done, that we would be a center, a place where there is solid, sound, biblical theology and teaching and living, that you would work within us and among us, and that you would expand our ability to have that ministry among more and more people as you bless and move us forward. We look to you, our trust is in you, and apart from you, we can do nothing. So we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.